The first Mishnah of the fourth Perek went through a number of mitzvahs which are done on Sukkot, and for which days of Sukkot they would apply, when they would override Shabbos, and one of those mitzvahs which was discussed in the first Mishnah was the mitzvah of Arava, which was done only in the Mishnah they would surround the Mizbeach with Aravas, and that is really the focus of this Mishnah, what exactly they would do with the Aravas. Mitzvah Arava Ketzad, how would the mitzvah of Arava be performed? This is a halacha Moshe Messinai. It's a tradition which we have going back to Moshe Rabbeinu from Mar Sinai, so it's a mitzvah mid but it's not written explicitly in the Torah. So the Mishnah elaborates. There was a location below Yerushalayim, Venikra Moitza, that small city was called Moitza. Yodim Lashom, they would go down there every day of Sukkot. They would send some messengers there. They would gather from there, from Moitzah, very large branches of Arava. In fact, they were so large, the Gemara explains they were 11 Amas tall. That's around 5-6 meters. So they would take these massive Arava branches, and they would come and stand them straight, or sort of slanted, on the side of the Mizbeach, they would place them on the Yisoyed. The Yisoyed was a base which came out of the Mizbeach at the bottom. It protruded outwards by an Amar, and it was an Amar tall. So they would place these branches on top of the Yisoyed, on the corners of the Mizbeach, and the Mizbeach was made up of different levels. After the Yisoyed, there was a part of the Mizbeach which went five Amas upwards, and then it went inwards by an Amar, and then three Amas upwards. And then at the top of those three Amas was the actual Mizbeach, but in the corners, on each of the corners of the Mizbeach, there was also another Amar where it went upwards. So in the corners of the Mizbeach, you would have the Amar of the Asaid, but the Arava branches were placed on top of the Asaid. So from the bottom of the Arava branches, there would be another five Amas plus three Amas, plus the Amar in the corner. So that would be nine Amas vertically. But since the Mizbeach went inwards, and the Arava was slanting towards the, to, you know, inwards towards the Mizbeach, there would still be part of the Arava, the top of the Arava, the tops of these branches were bent over on top of the Mizbeach. They were bent over the corner pieces and the, at the top of the Mizbeach. And the Gemara explains, like we said, there were 11 Amas tall altogether. They brew the Shefer, Takia, Teruah, and Takia. The takia is the long continuous sound, and the terua are lots of short sounds, and they would do this every single day of Sukkot. And as well as putting them on the sides of the Mizbeach, every day they would surround, they would walk around the Mizbeach once. They would do a full circuit around the Mizbeach, and there is a discussion in the Gemara as to whether they would first walk around the Mizbeach with these big Aravas, and then they would put them on the corners and on the sides of the Mizbeach, or alternatively, they would put the Arabas on the sides of the Mizbeach immediately, and they would surround the Mizbeach with their Araminim, with their own Lulav and Hadassim Arabas and Esrog. Be it as it may, as they were surrounding the Mizbeach, the Oymim, they would say, Ona Hashem Eishiyana, Ona Hashem Atzlichana, Please Hashem save us, please Hashem make us successful. Rabbi Yehuda Oymim, Rabbi Yehuda says they wouldn't say Ona Hashem Eishiyana, rather they would say, Aniva Hoi Eishiyana. Anivahoy, save us. Now, Anivahoy is the same gematria as Ona Hashem, and as well as that, it is one of the 72 names of Hashem, and these 72 names which we are talking about are all taken from three psukim in Parashas B'Shalach, three psukim which are right next to each other, and in short, it's sort of a code for many of the three-letter names of Hashem. The first name is actually Vahoy, and that is from taking the first letter of the first of those three psukim, that's a Vov, the last letter of the second pasuk, that's a hey, 
and the first letter of the third pasuk, and that's a vav again, and that's how you get vahoy. The second name would be the second letter of the first pasuk, the second last letter of the second pasuk, and the second letter of the third pasuk. So if you continue going, when you reach the 37th letter, which is hinted in those three pasukim, the 37th is really the beginning of the second half. If there are 72 names hinted in these three pasukim, so that's really two sets of 36. So the 37th name is really the first of the second half, and the three letters which you get in the 37th is Aleph Nun Yud, which is Ani. So that's how we get Ani and Vahoy. Those are the two names of Hashem which are in those three Psukim, and both of them are the first in their half. And there are also many other hints which come out of these two words, these names of Hashem, be it as it may, or be Huda holds, then instead of saying on Hashem, they would say Ani Vahoy Shiana. So they would do this process every single day of Sukkot, but on that day of Hashanah Rabbo, the seventh and final day of Sukkot, they would surround the Mizbeach seven times. The Yerushalmi draws an analogy to Yerichai, the first city which the Jewish people conquered in Eretz Yisrael. And in order to conquer this city, which had a very strong wall around it, they walked around the city for six days in a row. They did one full circuit around the city, and they blew the shofar, and on the seventh day, which was actually a Shabbos, which could very well be connected to the fact that this mitzvah was done on Shabbos, when Hashanah Rabbah fell on Shabbos, be as it may, they would surround, they surrounded the city seven times, blew the shofar, and at that point, the walls of Yerichai collapsed, and they were able to conquer the city. So a very similar thing takes place when it comes to the mitzvah of and Shana On the seventh day, they would surround the Mizbeach seven times, and Bashas Petirosan. At the time that they left the Mizbeach on Shana after having spent seven days performing this mitzvah of Arova, Mohin Oimrim, what would they say towards the Mizbeach? Yefiloch Mizbeach, Yefiloch Mizbeach. Beauty is yours, beauty is to you, the Mizbeach. They would say it twice. And they're praising the fact that the Mizbeach and all the Karbonis which are generally brought on the Mizbeach atone for the Jewish people's sins, and also really the Mitzvah Rava itself was itself an atonement for their sins. It was also in order to protect the Jewish people from their enemies. Just like in Yericho, it allowed us to conquer our enemies. And so they praised the Mizbeach for that. Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi says, they would say to Hashem and to you the Mizbeach, to Hashem and to you the Mizbeach, which at first glance seems to be as if we are comparing the Mizbeach to Hashem himself. But that is certainly forbidden and not a good idea. So the Gemara explains they wouldn't actually compare the Mizbeach to Hashem, chas v'shalem. Rather, the Gemara adds a few words. They would praise Hashem and then praise the Mizbeach separately. And they were praising the fact that Hashem via the Mizbeach brings about an atonement for the Jewish people's sins. Like the actions and the process which was done for the mitzvah on a weekday, exactly the same thing was done on Shabbos when the mitzvah applies on Shabbos. And as we learned in the first mission, that is only if the Shabbos falls on Ishana Rabbah on the seventh day of Sukkot, Ella. Except there was one difference, and that is Shahoy Malaktanosom Erev Shabbos. They would gather the branches, the Arovas Me'erev Shabbos, before Shabbos came in, and place them in golden barrels filled with water inside the Besamikdash, so that they would not wither by the time it comes to Shabbos morning when the mitzvah is performed. Now, Rabbi Yechman has quite a different understanding of the mitzvah Arova. Rabbi Yechman Aimer. Rabbi Yechonon ben Bereka says, They would bring branches of a palm tree, also known as a lulav. The main part of the mitzvah arava, according to Rabbi Yechonon ben Bereka, was actually done with a lulav, and not an arava. 
When talking about the mitzvah of Lulav, the Torah says kapis tamarim, palm branches. It says it in the plural, implying there is more than one, and so one is referring to the mitzvah of Lulav with the Araminim, and the reason why it's in the plural is because there is another mitzvah which is done with the Lulav. What exactly would they do with the Lulav? They would hit the Lulav on the ground, on the side of the Mizbeach. And that day was called the day of hitting the branches of the palm trees. There's a large discussion how exactly to understand in Rechemim and According to San, this is only done on Ishana Rabbah, but not on the rest of the days of Sukkot. There's a discussion whether an Arava was also part of the process according to Rabbi Yechimah Mbarekah. It could very well be that they did stand Aravas on the corners of the Mizbeach, but in addition to that, they hit the Lulavim on the ground. But according to Sam, there were no Aravas at all in the process. The reason why the Tanakhama argues with Rabbi Yechimah Mbarekah is because although Kapais Tamarim is written in the plural in the Torah, it is spelt Kapais without a Vov, so it's spelt Kapas Tamarim which is the singular. So that implies that there is only one mitzvah performed with the lulav of Sukkos, and that is the lulav of the Arba Minim. It should be noted that according to many, the Tanakhama holds that they would do exactly the same thing as Rabbi Yechim and Mareka said, but with Arovus. They would hit the Arovus on the floor, which could very well be the source for our custom on Hashanah Rabbah to hit the Arovus on the floor. Mishnah Zayin, the word Miyad in the Mishnah can mean one of two things, either from the hand of, or often Miyad means immediately. And depending on those two translations will be the entire explanation of the Mishnah. I'm going to explain both ways of understanding. Miyad Hatinoikos, which at first we will translate to mean immediately. Hatinoikos Shemtenesilvehen. The children would take away the lulavim, they would undo the lulavim, unwrap them, take the Aravas and Adasim out of their pockets, and they would play with the lulavim, Vaochen and they would eat their Esregim. So there's a discussion in the Rishonim as to whether they did this in a permitted way or not. According to Sam, they weren't allowed to do this, because the Esreg is set aside for the sake of a mitzvah for the entire Sukkot. So only after Sukkot is finished can the Esreg be eaten. But the children ignored this. That is one explanation, but it's a bit strange for the mission to be telling us that. So most understand the point to be that a children's Esreg is not considered set aside totally for a mitzvah. The whole reason why children have to shake the lulav and the esreg is because the parents have an obligation to educate them. So how do they fulfill the obligation of educating them? So in many ways, when it comes to sukkahs, they have to buy an esreg for the child and a lulav. When it comes to learning, they have to teach him. When it comes to Pesach, they have to make him eat matzah, etc. The mitzvah is one of education. The way to fulfill it is by using an esreg. But when it comes to a regular person, the entire mitzvah, an adult, the entire mitzvah, is to shake the esrog together with the abraminim. So the esrog itself becomes an object of a mitzvah for the entire sukkahs, but when it comes to a child's esrog and a child's lulav, so the item itself is not considered to have gained total mitzvah status, and therefore they did this in a permitted way. Now all of this is understanding the word miyad as meaning immediately, but miyad can also mean from the hands of, and according to that, the Mishnah would be saying that from the hands of the children, People, meaning adults, would take the lulavim and eat the esregim. So the adults would eat the children's esregim, and they would use the lulavim of the children. Again, because those lulavim and esregim weren't totally designated for the mitzvah, and therefore as soon as the mitzvah had been performed on the seventh day of Sukkot, so one could benefit from them. Now in addition, according to this explanation of the Mishnah, it seems that there was no problem of stealing over here people would be able to just snatch the esregim and the lulavim from children who are holding them, 
and they would not be liable to having stolen it. And the reason is fascinating, because since this had become such a widespread custom, and was done on Yom Tov as part of the festivity to bring about simcha and rejoicing, so that actually became the law. The custom of the people, in order to bring about simcha, that can actually change the law, and it would not be considered to be stealing. The Mishnah continues to elaborate on the short statements made in the first mission of the Perak regarding for how many days particular mitzvahs are kept over Sukkot. And the Mishnah told us that HaHalel, saying full Halel, the HaSimcha, and rejoicing Shemayna, applies for all eight days. That means all seven days of Sukkot plus the eighth day Shemayatzeres. And the way in which the mitzvah of rejoicing is fulfilled is by eating Karbonis Shalomim. So the mission notes that we see from here that Melamed Shechayv Adam Bahalal Vasimcha. This teaches us that one is obligated to say Halal and to rejoice by eating Karbonis Shalomim Uvichvoid Yomtev Ho'achrein Shelechag. And to honor the last Yomtev of literally Sukkot. And although Shminyatzeris is not actually part of Sukkot, it means the Yomtev which follows immediately after Sukkot. Kishar Kalimesachog, just like the rest of the days of Sukkot itself. The mitzvah continues on Shmini Atzeres. This is learned from the fact that the Potsuk says with regards to Sukkot, and you shall rejoice on your Yom Tov of Sukkot, and then it continues to say later on, again, and you should just be happy. So why does it have to say again that you should have Simcha? So we learn from there that it comes to include an extra day, that being Shmini Atzeres. And certainly full Halal is recited, since it is its new Yom Tov. So for every new Yom Tov, the full Halal is recited. Alright, now Mishnah Aleph also told us that Sukkah Shiva, the mitzvah of living, eating, sleeping in a Sukkah, applies for seven days. Of course, the seven days of Sukkot. It is not applied on Shminyat Tzeres, because Shminyat Tzeres is not part of Sukkot, it's a different Yom Tov. Asks the Mishnah Ketzad, how so? Meaning, what is there to elaborate about this idea, that it applies for seven days? If they finished eating, let's say, the main meal of the last day of Sukkot, the main meal of Eshan he should not immediately untie and take down his sukkah. There are a number of reasons for this. Firstly, the obligation is to live in a sukkah for seven days of sukkahs. Even if technically he won't be obligated to be inside of the sukkah for the rest of the day, let's say he's not going to have another big meal, nevertheless, even when he's not inside of the sukkah, he is still living in the sukkah. To take down the sukkah is showing that I no longer live in the sukkah. But there's an obligation to live there for all seven days, and the entirety of the seven days. And as well as that, even apart from that problem, to take down the sukkah as soon as you can is considered a bit of a disgrace towards the mitzvahs if you want to leave the mitzvah as soon as you can. Aval, however, he can bring down the utensils. The reason why the Mishnah says bring down is because often their sukkahs were built on the roofs on top of their houses, so they can bring down the utensils and all of the nice things which they brought up into the sukkah in order to beautify the mitzvah. From Mincha onwards, now there are two different times of Mincha. The later time begins two and a half hours before the end of the day. That's known as Mincha Ketana. And that's the time which the Mishnah is referring to. So when it actually gets very close to the Yom Tov of Shmini Atzeres, so then you can start bringing the things inside of the house. You can't take down the Sukkah. But you can start taking things out of the Sukkah because of the honor of the last Yom Tov, the Yom Tov which follows immediately after Sukkot, namely Shmini Atzeres. 
because it's an honor to prepare for the Yom Tov just before the Yom Tov, and also so that you have those beautiful dishes and utensils inside your house for the sake of the Yom Tov of Shmini Atzeres. So that can be done close to Shmini Atzeres. But even then, you have to keep the sukkah standing and only take it down after Shmini Atzeres has gone out.